how I screwed up as fire chief, you know, how everything I did was wrong, and you know. They may not be the same way as what's created in their department. Welcome to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. I'm your host, Clayton O'Brien, and I'm the fire chief for the city of Oregon. I'm joined by my co-host, Captain Joel Fry from the city of Napoleon. Hello, welcome to the Triple P Podcast. We're at episode number 19, and uh, Joel and I are actually very excited today because we get to talk with uh, Mark Hill. Uh, Mark is actually the author of an Amazon bestseller, which is uh, called Too Dark 30. Um, actually, uh, we got to meet him at the uh, Ohio Fire Chiefs Conference this year. Um, had a little bit of discussion, was able to uh, join him in his class and his presentation. So uh, really good time, and so I really appreciate you, Mark, uh, taking the time out of your day and um, sitting down and talking to us. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about what, you know, just about Mark here before we get all into it. Um, but Mark has actually uh, spent over 20 years in the public service. Uh, he's taught every grade from middle school to high school, college-level students, uh, he actually lives in a small uh, rural and urban settings. Mark has also served as an assistant coach, head coach, union president, principal, training officer, uh, preceptor, and a mentor. Uh, he's been selected as a teacher of the year for three times by his own students. Uh, Mark has also served as a volunteer firefighter and an EMT before he became a full-time fire chief. Uh, he actually currently works for uh, Wasu, Wisconsin, um, as a firefighter and a paramedic and an adjunct instructor for North Central Technical College. Recently, he has earned the department's Merit of Core Values Award. Mark's passion for learning and serving inspired him to become an author. So, Mark, you're happily married and you have uh, three beautiful daughters. I do, and I think I'm happily married, right? <laughs> my wife... My wife always say, yeah, you know, you've changed in the 25 years that we've been together. You're not the fun guy that I met in college. But I told her, I'm like, yeah, but now we have kids and like bills and things. So I'm a little more serious than I used to be. But yeah, you know, that's usually how but it goes, I, it? I enjoy our marriage. I still love my wife, you know, <laughs> as much as, you know, I think she's, as you know, as, as, as great looking as she always was. So, you know, I, I, I claim the happily married. Yes. Good. Well, I think uh, I think uh, Joel and I would uh, you know echo that same thing for the both of us. And so as we as we talk, um, I wanted to really kind of dive into initially um, what's very unique about you, Mark, uh, that I found very unique about you is that you started out as a teacher. And um, if you want to talk a little bit about your teaching career and and maybe how it led it, uh, you know, maybe to the fire service. Yeah. So. Long story short, and I'll try to, you know, I'll try to keep it uh, reasonable in length. Um, grew up in the UP, uh, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, you know, anyone from, now you guys in Ohio, you know, it's the state we don't mention north of you. However, I'm from the Upper Peninsula, so I'm okay, you know. Okay. I'm not from under the bridge. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a troll from under the bridge. You know, those people are from Michigan. Yeah, because we're football Michigan. season now. Let's team up north. Yeah. We don't really know, you know, right? say too That's much the about thing. it. Like they're, yeah, they're down there. So <laughs> I'm up, I'm a, you know, I'm from above the bridge, the good, the good part. So my dad uh, was a volunteer firefighter and he, uh, I grew up in the, you know, I grew up in the firehouse 
you know, going down. We lived in a small town uh, right outside of Marquette, Michigan, Nagani. And I would go with him when I was a kid, you know, on Saturday mornings and go roll hose, you know, and he would, he would, you know, practice his knots using me and my sisters as victims, you know, so he'd be tying, you know, harnesses and, you know, Mark, step into this harness for me and, you know, okay. And then he jacked me up, you know, five, 10 feet and it's like, okay, you know, all right, that worked. I'm like, yeah, it works. Okay. It's a little tight though. <laughs> so I grew up in the fire service. I literally did when I was a kid and, you know, riding around the fire trucks and throwing candy out during the praise back when you were allowed to do that kind of thing, you know, the good old days, you know, um, the smell of the firehouse and, you know, that slight tinge and, you know, that slight smoky smell that, you know, wafts over all the stuff and all the gear, you know. So I grew up living in that kind of environment and I grew to love it, you know, which, you know, if we want to talk about, you know, retention and recruiting issues, we, we kind of lost that, that kind of aspect mm-hmm. that, you know, people would start in that volunteer service or they get, you know, they get kind of brought into that family. I had my birthday parties at the fire station. You know, we had our Cub Scout meetings at the fire station. You know what I mean? Like everything in that in our community dealt with that over 100 year. That station was built in 1894, 96 or something like that. You know, it's one of the, you know, it's one of the, if you look up, it's a historical thing. If you look up Nagani's historic fire, fire station, um, but it, it, it was something. You know, you, you wanted to be a part of that. And as a kid growing up, everyone's dad, you know, was on the fire department and all my friends' dads were, you know, my dad's friends. And you know what I mean? Like that whole, it was a community. It was a family atmosphere, truly and figuratively, you know, truly where Um, I believe like probably where the true meaning of brotherhood came in. Right. You know, because Absolutely. it seemed like, you know, I, I, me and you have the same experience there too. Cause I was, I, I grew up in the firehouse. My dad was a volunteer as well. And my dad got sick with cancer. And when he got sick with cancer, I mean, that entire fire department was at our house. I mean, they, they cited yeah. it on a weekend, they brought meals and they did the meal train yep. and everything. So, and I know exactly yep. what you're saying. And I, I truly believe that, you know, it's that family. It's all about that community. It's why that fire department was in the center of your town, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing, like growing up, listening to my dad's pager go off, you know, and he'd, he'd be gone or they still, I mean, this is up until, you know, maybe 10 or so years ago. I, I've since not, I don't live up there anymore, but they would still, the town, the, whenever there was a fire, they would still ring the siren that was located on top of the hose tower of that station. They'd still ring it for the whole, I mean, it would be like a community, hey, Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing would go off and you would hear that sucker everywhere, you know, still so. does it around some of the towns that we, uh, well, does, uh, I'm not sure. Joel, does Ridgeville still have their, their siren that goes? Yep. It goes off on every call, every call. And, uh, and yeah. you know, when, and, and honestly, where, um, when I became a volunteer in Delta, it was the same thing. Siren went off and it really worked because you're out mowing the grass or doing yard work and didn't have a pager yep. on that. There you go. Yep. You knew it when it went. So. Yep. Yeah, you hear cool. that thing. Oh crap! We got a call. What's what's you know what's going on here, right? Yeah, so that's how I grew up. Literally grew up in that whole that, that kind of scenario. You know what I mean? So I always wanted to be a part of that. My dad, uh, at the time, you know, my dad went to college. He played football at Northern 
uh, Michigan University and um, got a business degree. Never used it a day in his life. <laughs> he, uh, he, Did he play football? Uh, because the- if, if people could see you, like when I first met Mark, just so the uh, listeners are knowing, Mark is a he's a big guy. Like he's a he's got a stature <laughs> of like a linebacker, you know. And so yeah, like the Viking the Viking heritage <laughs> of my yeah my ancestry. I, yeah, I'm like six two two fifty. Yeah, and uh, I used to be a lot better shape you know it's that that what is that that toby keith song i'm as good once as i ever was i love you know? that because it's, it's so true right? I, it, it, that is so that is so the key thing like you know bruce springsteen glory days you know it's just like yeah i you know i used to be able to tie one on pretty good you know you don't <laughs> want to mess with me but so yeah growing up i my dad's like listen you're gonna go to college you know you're not gonna be what he called the knuckle dragger you know, yep. you, you're, you're going to go to school and, you know, this is what we're going to do. And it was always it was always one of those things, like even though I grew up, you know, in that volunteer fire family kind of a thing, he didn't he wanted me to go to school. You're going to go and do something. So I did. So I went to Michigan Tech University up in Houghton, Michigan, which is an hour and a half north of where where I grew up. So even more snow um, in the wintertime. But uh Went to college there, started in engineering. Um, this is, you know, late 90s. So Dell was really, you know, just starting in gateway. Computers yep. was still, you know, start, all that kind of stuff was still kind of. So me and my friends were like, oh, we're going to have a computer company. We're going to become, you know, we're all going to become millionaires. You know, this is what we're going to do. So I, I tried electrical engineering because computer engineering didn't, didn't exist at the time. And yeah, me and math don't really work out too well especially i can do physics you know but uh differential equations and math numbers for the sake of numbers nah i couldn't i just i didn't like it so i was getting like c's and d's in my engineering courses so to offset my bad grades to keep my gpa up i was taking social studies courses because i liked that you know i liked history and i liked geography and i i had a you know i really liked enjoyed those subjects and finally we had i had a come into jesus meeting with with our uh, electrical engineering advisor and he's like mark um yeah i don't think this is for you and i'm like yeah well i could have told you that like you know two years ago you know <laughs> i've been struggling this whole time you know, and he's like, you want to graduate, right? I'm like, well, yeah, of course I want to graduate. Yeah. You know, I don't, I'm not going to be here forever. So he's like, you should go into teaching. You have enough credits. You've taken all these other courses. He's like, you just go into teaching, just take the core education courses and you, you'll, you'll graduate. And I'm like, okay. So I did, I went over there and, uh, transferred and went into teaching. And I, I found that, because the way I am and because I love telling stories, obviously, and I like talking to people and, you know, all those different things, it got, it was very natural. It came real natural to me. So I loved it instantly, fell in love with it. And when I graduated, my, my wife now, girlfriend at the time, she's from Wausau here in Wisconsin, which is middle of the state. So when we graduated, we came back down here and I found a job teaching at Anago uh, High School. So I taught juniors and seniors in Anago for a few years. And then with budget cuts, I got I got bumped out of my job at the high school because they made cuts at the middle school. And so I went from there, from the high school in Anago, 
to the middle school in a little more rural community, Wittenberg, uh, which was about half hour south of us, taught at the middle school there. And then the opposite happened. They made cuts at the high school. I've got bumped out of my job at the middle school. So I got, I got eliminated through that, that fashion. It was just, you know, how budgets are and, you know, yep. things like that. And at the same time, um, I had gotten my master's degree in education cause I was going to be a principal. So I did the summer school principal and I was doing all these different things for being, you know, um, in charge of a school in that leadership capacity. And coincidentally at the same time, I was also the, the union president for our <laughs> education association. So that, I mean, that was one of those positions like, you know, you have a meeting, I, I'm sure you guys have been in those meetings. You have a meeting of like 150 people and they're like, okay, who wants to be the president this time? And no one, no one puts their hand up and everyone's looking around at each other. Like who's going to volunteer Who's the this? sucker you now? Know? <laughs> yeah. Who <laughs> wants to stick on? You know? So it's just like, and then eventually it's like all, all, all kinds of eyes. Then you start feeling the eyes on you and you're like, oh crap, they're looking at me. Why? No, I'm not, I'm not going to look up. I'm not going to look up. And then I did. And it's like, okay, fine. I'll do it. But I'll tell you guys if I'm going to do this, you're going to, you know, so I was the union president and uh, which was a whole experience of dealing with contract negotiations, you know, getting all that stuff <laughs> figured out and worked out. And um, that's a whole different concept and a whole, that's a whole different topic for a whole nother time. At the same time when I was teaching, I was a volunteer firefighter. So when I was in Anago, uh, I was on uh, Langley County Rural Fire Control. So we were three townships that came together, a uh, very rural um, total population between all three townships. I think we were just maybe 2,500. Okay. Um, but we're talking like a hundred and what was it? It was like 150 square miles that our territory covered. Wow. So now, did, did, yeah. what, say that name again. What was that name that you said? What was the, was the name of the department? It was, so the department's name was called Langlade County Rural Fire Control. Wow. So we were three different townships that came together to form like a district. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They call it a district out here. I just never heard it as, you yep. know, titled as fire control or that type of name. So. Yeah. I know that, that was the, that was the name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or RFC was what, you know, everyone called it. Oh, RFC is over the, you know, so, um, but it was fun. And it, 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 you know, you, t you, I learned a lot, you know, and it's funny, like people always talk about, well, you know, how different is it between a volunteer department versus a career department? And it's just like, well, we're all doing the same job. We're all doing the same things. I, you know, I always tell people like the only thing that's truly different, people expect you when they, when they call 911 and they call you to come and help them, they don't care whether you're volunteer or whether you're career, right? right? They want you to come and fix and mitigate whatever problem that they're having. They could care less as to whether you're getting paid or not, right? I always tell people, like, the difference is, isn't what we do. We do the same things. The difference is, you know, being on WASA, we have 7,000 plus calls a year. Most of those are EMS related. So I see the same, you know, same call, you, you know, most times, you know, you see the same call five, 10 times a day versus when I was on a, a volunteer department, I'd see that same call, but only maybe five times a month. So the difference for me, and you know, when people always ask, well, the difference is, is just the number and the times I see 
something happen over and over and over again, right? And, you know, it's just like anything else. Repetition builds memory and all those different things. So, yeah, am I better at doing certain things now versus when, you know, I was only seeing the thing happen like once or twice a month? Well, you know, absolutely. Of course, you know, you talk to, you know, I've got some friends that are in like Detroit fire, um, you know, yeah, well, they're going to fires like literal structure fires like four times a day. You know, we're lucky to see one structure fire a month, like actual work, working fire, you know, on our crew. So it's just like, yeah, they're going to be really good at what they're doing. You know, they should be, you know, as opposed to, yeah, we're riding the, I'm, you know, I'm on the a- ambulance all the time. So it's just like, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be really good at being a, you know, paramedic versus, you know, if I was just acting as a first responder, sure. you know, so mm-hmm. That kind of that dichotomy of, you know, you know, volunteer versus career. It's just like, well, yeah, we're doing the same job. It's just how many times we touch. It's the frequency of amounts of how much you do that job, I guess, which would be the only major separation, but the job that needs to be done. And, and I think that even in my experience on the volunteer side too, was that, that same thing. It just depends on what department you're with and what the standards that are being upheld within theirs to ensure that the training and things of that is, is being done. Uh, but you know, I do know what you're saying is as far as the, the only major separation between the two departments is simply the fact that, um, one does more frequent the the frequency of the amount of runs that they have compared to the other. Yeah. And we actually have, there was, when I was on RFC, there was a department that was right next to us. They actually literally were volunteers. So, you know, getting to the, you know, debate about whether if you're volunteering, you get paid versus if you're volunteering, you know, like they would, they wouldn't pay their people anything. They would get points. And if they responded to a call, they got so many points. And then at the end of the year, they'd have this big like Christmas uh, dinner and raffle and your points would get to raffle tickets and you could put in for the big screen TV or the, you know, the shotgun or, you know, all that different (laughs) stuff. I mean, they were truly a volunteer organization um, versus even when I was on RFC, we got paid, you know, when we responded, we got, you know, like eight bucks an hour, you know, something like that. It was, you know, um, but they were they were truly a volunteer you know organization, and then so I I was doing all that while I was teaching. Okay. So when all that went through, and I finally got laid off for the last time, um, we actually had had our first daughter, my oldest daughter at the time. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll coincidentally I'll I guess I'll be a stay at home dad. So while I was doing that, I was going back to school and I got my paramedic license. So in Wisconsin here, uh, if you want a full-time fire uh, position, you have to be a paramedic. There's only a couple departments in our whole state that, you know, here it's, it's primarily fire-based EMS. There's only a couple departments that are just purely fire um, that don't run any EMS, or if they do, it's just like at a first responder, you know, we'll come, you know, to do some, some, very basic things, but, um, there's only a couple departments in the state that, that run that most EMS is run through the fire departments here in Wisconsin. There's a couple ambulance systems and like Milwaukee, big, big, big towns. Um, there's still some, uh, ambulances that are based out of hospitals, but primarily you call 911 here in Wisconsin, you're going to get an ambulance from a fire department, either volunteer or career. So, you know, it, they will have both. So very, very, very similar to Ohio. Yep. Yeah. So, 
I went back, got my medic, which was, I'll be honest, getting my paramedic license was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. That was so outside my wheelhouse, you know, because at the time I had spent, you know, at that point, a decade plus being a teacher and, you know, knowing U.S. history and world history and world geography and economics and psychology and socio. I mean, that was in the forefront of my mind, you know, curriculum and standards and, you know, student student enrollments, and you know, coming up with, you know. Uh, educational plans for special education students. I mean, all that kind of stuff, the core, you know, hardcore school stuff was still, you know, in my, in my brain. And then it's like, okay, we're moving on now to career two. So all that you can file in the back of that cabinet. We need to bring some new file in the front, you know? So paramedic was hard. I, I mean, it was, it was real hard. I'm still, I, I joke, I tell people I'm still waiting for, national registry to send me a letter saying that you know what we we uh we screwed up your your like your your you you really don't have a license you know your test (laughs) score actually you actually failed you should never have been passed you know i'm still waiting for that letter it hasn't arrived yet now how many years so so how many years have you been a paramedic when when was that uh, 10 okay yeah it was hard it was it was outside the wheelhouse and i really had i went through whole notebooks just memorizing things and just wrote memory just writing the same thing down over and over and over again got it passed it transferred to a, another department because we had moved to where i live now in rib mountain um and rib mountain at the time is a combination department so they had three full-time they called them battalion chiefs mm-hmm. for the three crews it was basically they were the full-time paramedic and then all the rest of us were part-time pay it on call that kind of a thing um there was a full-time chief there but that was it it would that's how that system uh operated so i was there for numerous years rose up i uh, ended up being i was training uh officer and and did eng- i was engineer of the uh, rope rescue the technical rescue unit things like that and at the same time when all that went through the village right next to us uh rothschild had an opening for a fire chief um, so I like the, it's just like the lottery can't win unless you buy a ticket. So I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll throw my hat in the ring. And they, well, I don't know if it's, you know, uh, short sighted, but they decided to hire me. And, uh, I was the first full-time chief over in Rothschild. And, uh, that was hard. I, you know, people always ask like, well, what's your next book going to be? I should write a book on failed leadership. You know, how I screwed up as fire chief you know how everything i did was wrong and you know all the lessons i learned a lot i'll tell you i learned a lot i got a hell of a lot done in that office but oh man there are so many things politics and all the stuff that went through you know that people just you don't you don't know until you step in and sit in that chair yeah. you know all the intricacies of working with government bureaucracies and you know all the groups and you know it's yeah that's a whole different book um it'd be a good one though it it would be a good one because you know coming from a person like you that had to you know rose up had a completely different career before even getting into the fire service and a career about you know teaching young young adults and um you know raising them up and seeing their light bulbs go off to a point to where now you're a leader of individuals that 
are already trained so or or should be and you're trying to give them some guidance and of of that nature but um i do i i would say that that would be a a very good book uh because of if you were just by judging from you know reading the parts in your book of how i've uh you know how you explain things in the book and everything else that's why i say i think it would be a good one because just full transparent honesty and and learning from someone else because um you know, I will say that when Joel and I came up throughout the fire service, you know, sometimes when you when you work for individuals that you um, are just not meeting the marks, sometimes you just, you as an individual are learning so much from those individuals. So yeah. maybe if you got ahead of them and, and some people just to say, hey, I tried this or did this, that even individuals like myself, if I didn't have the experience of working for, you know, poor leadership in the past and things of that nature, then maybe through book, you could find what that poor leadership was because if individuals had worked for what they feel is a strong leader, a good mentor, good training, they work for a great culture and, dev- and environment and a department, then how are they supposed to learn from some of those things when that's all they've ever known until their experience yep. of what it is? So, um, because naturally they may not be the same way as what's created in their department. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, you know, when I became chief over there, I, you know, the couple, you know, you, you, it's like anything. I, I'm sure everyone, you know, listening has probably had that situation where you're like, you throw the idea out there, you know, hey, I'm thinking about this. And then you get the reactions from people, you know, like, ah, you know, there's this or there's that. Or, you know, they start listing off like, you know, this. And th-. it's just like, well, yeah, you know, but could it be? what you say, or is it just, you know, people talking or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, it, it's, it can never, it's like anything. Grass isn't always greener, which is true. You know? I agree. Yeah. We, we, we find that out. And, and there are places and I've worked, you know, you know, when I was head, I was uh, head track coach when I was in Anago and, I'm, and when I was in Wittenberg and it's just like, you know, boys and girls. So, I loved coaching the girls. It was a dream coaching girls because girls in my experience were self-motivated. You know, I give them the workout, they'd all go do it. They'd come to me when they were done. They're like, okay, we're done with it. Do you want us to do anything else? I'm like, this is fantastic. Yes, we can do all these other things, you know, <laughs> versus when I was coaching the boys, when I was, you know, football coach too. I mean, my literally my voice would be gone because I would be yelling and screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> And it's just like what you know, constantly berating. I'm not surprised being, you know, why you're that person. Why you would have to yell with your stature, like just like you just walk in and they should just be like, yeah. "What do you want me to do?" Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like I can, I can bark. Yeah, I, if you need me to bark at you, I can bark at you. You know, and my girls, you know, I'll be hey, and they'll be like, oh, you know. Uh, yes what you know and i didn't have to, you know so yeah when i was teaching i never had a problem with student discipline not, yeah not one <laughs> not one one not, not one time did anyone ever give me a lip you know not not once because i'd shoot him a glare like uh you're gonna go there really and uh that would be it and it would be zip yep okay what are we doing yeah yeah, you, we're going to do this now, you know, so. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I will okay. say, like, you you did have a good point, though. You know, grass is not always greener. And I, I just actually talked to a good friend of mine the other day. And when we were talking, and we that, that topic came up. And I said, I had just recently heard it. And, um, 
you know, somebody else had explained it too. And I thought this resonated with me very well because as young adults, a lot of people think that the grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, I'm going to get a quarter more. I'm going to get, they pay so much more over here. They do this or whatever. And then their motivation is basically by money, not by culture or environment or what their, you know, best fits within their family. So um, what I held on to was grass is not always greener on the other side, but it is always greener where you water it. Yes, absolutely. So yes. water your grass in your own departments, change your attitude, get <laughs> yes. better, you know, like that sort of thing. And yep. if you start watering your own grass, then you realize, oh, well, when you come as a fire chief to me during your times of saying yep. like, hey, we want to do this, or I'm thinking about this, then just as well that that the I think that we as chiefs need to think more as, is we need to be saying yes to our people more when they come up with ideas and then yeah. if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out, Fine. but explain the yeah. why, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And vice versa. You don't know until you try. That's right. That's right. And that's the thing. Like when you constantly say no, right, no one will say anything anymore. Yep. Because everyone will stop, you know, if you like as a teacher, right? If I'm teaching students and I ask a group of, you know, a bunch of people, hey, what do you think? You know, Clayton, what do you think about this topic? Joe, what do you think about this topic? Hey, you know, Fred, what do you think about this? Hey, can you explain to me these different concepts? And I then berate you, you know, saying, no, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Joe, I can't believe you wasted everyone's time telling us this. Clayton, where are you even coming from in the book? Do you not even, you know, if you start getting negative on people. Why would you raise your hand? Why would you stick your neck out there to get it chopped off? I mean, why would you do any of that stuff? That's right? right. If mm-hmm. you're constant and that goes and then, you know, I've had people and, and I'm sure you guys have too. It's not just the belligerent negativity. What I think is worse than that is that passive aggressive people that, you know, well, I'm not saying that, you know, this is the case. Well, you did by saying that's the case, you know, like, what what are you talking about? You know, don't, you know, I'm not saying you should lose weight, Mark. Well, you just did, you know, like there was, there was a guy, you know, he's now retired. And like I said, I, you know, yeah, I'm 250. I'm kind of a bigger dude. And we got these new recliners at, you know, at station two where I was. And I had my, you know, my, my, uh, radio, you know, they call it radio purse, my strap. And on the back of my strap, I've got, uh, I don't even know what those hooks are called. It's one of those, it's a thumb hook, you know, where you can, you can attach it to your belt or you oh, the sway, the, the sway strap. Yeah. The sway strap, yep, yep, but yep. the actual buckle, I don't know what the name of the buckle actually okay. is, but anyway, long story short, um, because I'm two fifty. I, you know, and these were new recliners. He's like, Hey, I'm not telling you, you shouldn't wear your strap, but I noticed when you got up, you were leaving divots in the new recliner, like in the leather, the pleather, you know, and my Lieutenant who at the time he's now retired too. He went off on this guy. Well, you know, I mean, it was, it was literally, they were pointing fingers at each other, you know, and they got right in each other's faces and it was just, and it's like, you know, and then the battalion chief gets called because there's a disagreement. You know what I mean? Like it's it's the whole freaking thing happens. And it's just like, it was over what, you know, because 
Nothing. It's pleather. Okay. Yep. This isn't real leather. Number one. Number two, I'm not maliciously trying to ruin our furniture. You know what I mean? It's just like, there are times when we, you know, you need to say something or whatever, but there's also ways to say it. You yeah. Know? Well, it's just like, what does your weight have to do with it anyways? It doesn't matter what size you are. Felt, if you sit with a strap well, in there, it doesn't really he, matter. He felt that, yeah. His feeling was because of my weight, was pressing into You're... the back of the recliner more than his like hundred and you know sixty five pound frame, you know. So it was no, he's like... been wanting to say something about your weight for a while, and he just yeah. got an opportunity, and he wanted to yeah. say at that time. That's all. Yes, yep. even though you know I could bench press him like you know ten <laughs> times if I wanted to, and you know I could pick him up. It like wasn't a, a student dollar. of yours that you taught in social studies and <laughs> gave him an F, was no. it? <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 thank God it was not. But, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, there's a time and a place. And, you know, I talk about that in the book. Like, you got to know who your audience is when, you, when you're when you talking to who you're trying to educate, when you're talking to who you're, you know, you're trying to train. It's just like, listen, when I was, yeah, when I was a fire chief, I had people that were 19 years old. I had people that were 72 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, literally the gamut. 50 years, both of experience and age in that room you're trying to disseminate information to those people. So what's the messaging? How do I send it? What are they receiving in that message? You know, and then are they learning anything in that message? So it's like, yeah, it's, it's complicated. How, how do you take a, you know, a course and a structure and how do I disseminate that information into parts that every now generation will pick up on because every generation is different. Yeah. And that's the thing about, you know, you got to know who your audience is. You got to know who you're talking to. If I'm talking to a group of elementary students, fire prevention, you know, stop, drop and roll, you know, doing all the classic, you know, fire prevention, October, you know, activities. If they're kindergartners, I'm going to tell them one thing, right? If they're, you know, sixth, seventh graders, I'm going to tell them a whole different thing. My message is completely different between those two groups, you know, and it all has to do with maturity mm -hmm. and it all has to do with you know, the things that they're going to grasp and concepts. And really we're looking at attention span, right? A kindergartner, you know, they say in education, you have the, the age corresponds to your attention span. So if you got a five-year-old kid, they're going to listen to you for five minutes. If you got a 10-year-old kid, 10 minutes, 20, blah, 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 right? You literally have that time span. Now that does not mean that if you're 70, you got them for 70 minutes <laughs> because as we become adults, they're sleeping by we then. Kind of cap out. Yeah, we cap out at about 25. So we reached that 25. I mean, think about the last class you had, you know, 25 minutes. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm engaged. I'm with you for 25 minutes. At that point, I then start to think about other things or I, I need another coffee or, you know what? I should go to the bathroom or, mm -hmm. you know what? Is there a call? Did, do, who's on, who's on right now? Are we, are we, you know, who's, who's responding? Who's not responding? You know, who's covering for us? Who's not covering for us? So, you lose people 25 minutes. It's usually about the time that you got for every adult. So then it's like, okay, if you know that going in as the teacher, right. And I talk about that in the book about planning, right. Don't do the same thing for more than, you know, 20, 25 minutes. Cause you're going to lose them. Yeah. You know? So if you got an hour that you want to do training on hoses, you know, or we, we want to do a high rise drill or whatever the situation is. Okay. 15 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, tell a story, tell, talk about, you know, talk about, you know, something that happened. It doesn't have to be your story. You talk about someone else's story. Clayton told me this great story about this high rise that happened down in Ohio and all these, it was flames are shooting through the room. I mean, there's a whole nine yards. Go into it. Talk about it. It doesn't have to be, 
It doesn't have to be your story. When I was teaching U.S. history, I was telling stories about George Washington. I don't, I don't know George Washington. I was not alive <laughs> at that time, you know. So, but people, people will engage with you when you talk about stories. They will grasp the context because they'll visually think about in their head what they're listening to, right? That's the power of storytelling, which is why I started the book out talking about storytelling and how yep. important that aspect is to whatever training you're doing. Don't go in there and start talking about death by PowerPoint, right? PowerPoint, and people always talk about, you know, oh, PowerPoint, but PowerPoint's great, but PowerPoint was never intended to be, ever. That was not the intent of PowerPoint to disseminate information. PowerPoint is there to change background and to keep you on bulleted points. That's it. And you know it's what I not, related you know, PowerPoint to sometimes about death by PowerPoint and and, and oh, yeah. I and I took to uh I took a lot from your storytelling in the in in your book too. Um because I thought it made some good points. Um as long as it's balanced with the stories. But yeah. the the PowerPoint to me has always been like the crutch. You know, like if somebody's just gonna sit there with their back to me or to yeah. to the class and it's been their crutch, it's like you haven't even prepared for the content and but for the time that you built the PowerPoint. And then when the yeah. time you came to be a presenting, all you're going to do is read us to what you typed in there. Like if you really know the topic, you don't need a PowerPoint. And I, I'll take it from Gordon Graham back in 2015 when we were at the Ohio Fire Chiefs Conference and he used an old projector and he drew up all this scribble and it was it was it's awesome how it was, you know, at the end, of the, I couldn't even believe it, this transparent, um, you know, clear sheet that he had marked oh, yeah. all up that you couldn't even read through it. So he did a great presentation. But I look back at that as saying that majority of the time, the presenters that do the the best are the ones that are passionate about it. The ones that are they get you engaged because they're so engaged, and it's never because of a PowerPoint that guided them that way. It's usually might be a piece of paper or a lesson plan that they have just to have some notes here and say, "Hey, meet these yep. marks at these times." But a yep. PowerPoint is usually not the what's going to get them there. No, and it, and it's a discussion. You know, yep. like what we're doing right now, we're talking about these concepts. We're talking about these things. We're telling stories about, Hey, this is the time that this happened. And that's, a th that is the beauty of when you have uh, an educational or a learning environment, when it's literally talking about stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We want to talk about high rise. We want to drill on high rises. Okay, great. Clayton's going to, you know, start us off. He's going to talk about, these are the drills that really work for me. These are the things that happened. And you know what? This is the call that I went on when we did such and such. And we, you know, we went the floor below, we'd all these different things and we tried hooking up to the stamp pipe that was in the stairwell and it was full of crap. People were using it for freaking garbage can and we didn't, you know, prime and we didn't flush out that system. I mean, all those different, let's talk about the different things, right? The pressure was screwed up. We couldn't find the pressure. We told the guy the engine to jack the pressure up. It was leaking actually on three floors below. There was a blown hose. It was leaking all over the place. We were losing all of our, I mean, those are all things that are great stories. It's all contextual because we're all talking about the same thing. And then you start having another person will say, hey, you know what? Here's another time when this happened, right? We were dealing with this issue and blah, 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 blah. And then someone else will chime in. Hey, you know what else? This is also what happened. We tried doing the Cleveland reload and we tried deploying that and we it, we, it totally got screwed up because the it wasn't packed correctly or blah, 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 blah. I mean, one thing leads to another and that's a natural discussion, talking, yep. 
lecturing environment. Well, what, we're all learning from everybody else. And and what what's critical about what you just explained there, what's very critical about what you explained there is it was full transparency. You know, yeah. we did this and tried this. This didn't work. So like this yep. is why we believe it didn't work or this is what it was rather than just telling a story and it was all, you know, all, you know, roses the entire time and nothing went wrong yeah. or whatever else. Yeah, and, everything is perfect. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We arrived on scene in our gleaming truck and, <laughs> you know, we all came out jacked and, you know, looking like a calendar and, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we ran upstairs and we threw that ladder on the second floor and I went up there by myself and rescued the cat and the mom and took the baby out of her hands and it was unbelievable. And that's where yeah. I'm like, it's, it's okay. And I, and I always say it all the time is make the mistakes on the training ground and put her, yes. put yourself out there, be vulnerable because the mistakes can't come on the fire ground. You know, it can't no. come on the, in the real instances. We need you to be the best. Um, yes. well, so that, that does really resonate with me too, with the, uh, with the death by PowerPoint kind of deal. Cause I'm a fire instructor and I know Mark is and Clayton, you're a fire instructor as well. And we've all probably popped open that uh, IFSTA manual PowerPoint yeah. presentation for ladders. And you look at it, and it's 171 slides long. <laughs> yep. yeah. And then yeah. in Ohio, we have a 36-hour card. And I can pretty much get the same information in a two-hour class to the 36-hour cards and then go start drilling on it that I can for a Fire 1 or 2 class where we're putting 8, 16 hours into ladders. Um, and I can pump out the same quality, and you're actually getting hands-on, more hands-on. So... I just, uh, I just hate the death by PowerPoint. Can't well, it. Yeah. It, you make a good point there, Joel, because uh, most to to back to Mark's point of knowing your audience and majority of our audience as firefighters, paramedics, EMTs, they want to get their hands on. They want to get hands yeah, dirty. They want to get out and get dirty. Yeah. So if you yep. take the concept of Mark, that's right. You take the concept of Mark saying, hey, give him 25 minutes. Maybe you come in, you do a small 25 minutes of explaining what's going to go on in the drill, what we're going to do in the drill, yep. tell a couple stories, get it on going, and then and then um, get out on the uh, get out on the training ground and actually start throwing ladders. And those you, you covered 171 slides, but it wasn't by them sitting there being bored to death. It was by you're in the grass or you're in the stones or you're on the apron or wherever you're at throwing ladders and doing all that same stuff but you're i'd rather go stare at a ladder than <laughs> well that's the thing yeah don't show me pictures of the halyard <laughs> and the road you know don't show me the par par parts of the ladder let's go touch the ladder and look right. at the parts like yes we all we're at fire stations we have lots of ladders yeah <laughs> i don't need to look at a picture of a ladder we can actually go and put my hand on a ladder you know so yeah it's just it, it's contextual right and that's a thing like you know now now, granted, I'll caveat that with, I don't think a lot of us have pompier ladders anymore or, you know, <laughs> you know, some of the more true. So showing a picture of, Hey, guess what? Back in 1910, this is what, you know? So yeah, you could show pictures of things that we don't have anymore, mm -hmm. you know, or canvas, you know, the rescue tar, you know, jump into this, you know, kind of, so yeah, one thing is, is fine to show pictures of, but Stuff that you actually have. Yeah, come on. So, sometimes, you know what just popped in my mind when you just said that of like, you know, some of the pictures are the things that aren't necessarily like things that we still have, but maybe be the history of it. Um, Joel, yeah. Joel created this in his department. And when I seen this, I was like, 
Joel. This is this is awesome. And it was that, that, that training newsletter. Like maybe it's just content with that where you put it out to the department. They're able to read the content that, you know, that yep. is there. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have the death by PowerPoint with all that information, but you're putting it out there and then you're applying what you really are doing on a regular basis in your hands-on training, but you're still able to, you know, capture both. Yeah. They, I don't know if you guys remember that. Remember the, um, what do they call them? Coffee. Yeah. The coffee talks yeah. or the coffee table the coffee talks or something like that. The coffee bulletins or whatever. Those yeah. little like one page yep. from the fire administration. That's, I mean, they, they were perfect. Yep. They were short, sweet to the point, you know, and I don't remember who, I mean, it, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of really smart people that are way smarter than me that came up with all that stuff. But I mean, they were, that, that was perfect because uh-huh. they were all things you could talk about at your kitchen table, you know, Hey, we're going to, well, let's talk about, you know, ICS. Let's talk about the different levels of ICS or let's, what's the difference between ICS and NIMS? You know, I mean, what are we doing here? Why, why are we doing these kind of things? Fire prevent, you know, inspection stuff, top, top 10 things to look for in an inspection. You know, we don't, we don't have to go through, you know, the entire book of, you know, fire inspection stuff. And we, we cause we're not going to remember all those different things. Right. You know, and, and I, for all the know, training officers out there, all the training officers out there that are listening, all those little coffee bulletins or those little newsletters from the training, all they got to do is get the conversation started. That's it. Yes. Just enough yes. to get them to, Hey, I read it. And then have that, think about that, you know, that probationary person, that less than five yeah. year, or even that veteran firefighter yep. that just gets them started. So somebody asks the question to get them going, you know, and that's, yep. that's all you're really trying to trigger. Yep spark that why do we do it this way kind of conversation that's right yeah and that's and that's exactly right because that's what everybody you know what do they say in the fire service we all love complaining about everything but we don't like change right Mm -hmm. so it's just like well why do we do the things that we do well this is why you know this is what happened you know here in wausau i talked about when i was at the conference our hydrants are opposite what normal hydrants are well then it's like you know the new people that start when we go through hey we got to catch a hydrant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to catch a hydrant. No, you don't know how to catch our hydrants. And this is why. It's just like, yep. oh, you know, the history is, you know, this. And it's just like, oh, well, that's interesting. You know, so it's just like, yeah, that's that's the institutional knowledge that you need to embed in all these people that start in your program and on your departments. That's the kind of stuff that you don't. I'm not going to go into literally step one, put your foot here to catch a hydrant. Step two, take the five inch, wrap it around. No, we're going to go through it. Yes. But I'm not going to literally test you on whether you had your left or right foot on something or you, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we all know how to do that. Throwing a ladder is one thing, right? The difference is how big and how long that ladder is. If I've got a 35 footer, you know, yeah, I could do it by myself. But should I be doing it by myself? You know? Yeah, good point. Yeah. If, you know, if someone's screaming with their baby out the window, of course, we're all going to go and do something that we shouldn't be doing. And we're going to sacrifice to make that, you know, save. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, 99.9% of the time, that is not the situation. And we do have time to do things correctly and appropriately. You know, and there was there was one guy that was always like, well, we... You know, why aren't these people running around getting stuff done? It's like, listen, we don't run on the fire ground, right? That's not what we do. We walk with purpose, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just like, you know, yeah, I'm not going to run, especially here in Wisconsin. There's ice like 
I've fallen numerous times on ice, you know, and it's just like it. Yeah. Could I run through? Yeah. Is there a chance that I may hurt myself? I'll tell you. Yes, there is. <laughs> you know, am I going to get there faster by running? Yeah, it is. But I could also hurt myself and then take myself out of the situation. And now our crew now it's down one more person. So it's just like, <laughs> you know, you got to weigh that aspect. And that's what young people have to learn. Like, you know, everybody wants, to, we're all type A personalities. We're all, you know, we're all fixers, right? Which is the problem in the fire service. Everybody, you know, everybody knows everything and we're all fixers, right? So we all want to do these things. We all think we have the answers. We all have that stuff because that's the type of personality that comes into this kind of career field. And that's not a bad thing, but at the same time, the leader, whoever that is, has to know to stem that down, right? We have to keep everything in check, you know, and we have to we have to realize what our limitations truly are, you know, and I talk about that in the book that, you know, that Dunn and Krieger effect of, you know, when we start out, we think we know everything. And then as our experience goes on, that chart goes down because we realize, man, I really don't know half of what I thought I knew. And then after, you know, so many years, you get more experience and you realize, well, I'm not too bad. And yeah, I could handle most things. Or, or if I don't know, I've got, you know, Joel, is he's really smart and I'm going to talk to him when something goes wrong. Or Clayton really knows a lot about this, so I'm going to really reach out to him. You, you develop those professional relationships to now bounce questions and ideas and learning and all those different things off of people. That's what we learn as we get, you know, more experience and we become, quote unquote, more veteran, right? But the new people, they don't have any of that stuff. Their toolbox literally is empty. So it's our job as, you know, leaders, teachers, officers to help fill their toolbox with all the things that we know that we have in our toolbox. I want to dump my toolbox into their toolbox. And I want to give them everything that I know. And hopefully something sticks and hopefully, you know, other things will will develop along the way. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel.